0: Ireland, March 1985. A hearing is underway at a court in Dublin. The small Victorian-era courtroom is packed with people. A well-dressed man in his mid-forties is brought to his seat. His wife is sitting with him. The crowd falls silent.
1: He was a pillar of society. You could tell by the people who were in the court.
0: This is Judge Gillian Hussey, the judge who was about to adjudicate on the future of this man.
1: There was an array of people that you would never, never have expected to see. Not in a criminal courtroom, anyhow. And a very, very pleasant man sitting in the dock.
2: He was quite tall and slim build. He had slightly red hair gone grey.
0: Everyone in that courtroom remembers the defendant very, very clearly. Some had even travelled across the Atlantic to be there.
2: I remember thinking that he looked older than I thought he should.
3: I remember it as sort of a long pointed beard.
0: Michael O'Shea. That was the name of the defendant. The name was entered into the court record. Michael O'Shea.
2: You wouldn't call him handsome, but he was very striking, and he had a fantastic presence about him. He had very deep, penetrating eyes.
0: Michael O'Shea owned property in the leafy suburbs of South County Dublin, as well as a large estate in the Midlands of Ireland. And he'd lived in Ireland for the previous 15 years, during which time he'd met and married a Dublin woman, and he was working in the film industry. So what was he doing here in court? He was here because of that name, Michael O'Shea. The Irish police and Interpol believed it was fake.
2: You have the wrong man was all he would say at any time.
0: Not only that, but this man using the name Michael O'Shea was a fugitive, a wanted man.
1: Michael O'Shea was a man of some means and much talk, but the FBI claimed there's another side to the man who had a business providing cinema props.
0: In fact, he was on the FBI most wanted list in the United States of America for the most serious of crimes, and his real name was Joseph Maloney.
1: He's a conning, conning, conning man, but he's an intelligent man. If he's dead, This thing will not die with him.
0: Joseph Maloney is still a fugitive on the run and for the past two years, we've been searching for him.
1: He's obviously a very cool, calculating psycho. It's incredible to think that we were fooled so much. Yeah, he fooled us all.
0: Our search for Joseph Maloney is going to take us from rural Ireland to upstate New York to parts of the world we've never been to before, all on the trail of one man. From RTE Documentary on One, this is Runaway Joe. Episode 1 a question of identity.
3: Well, let see, that's 67. Um, it's um, Chesworth. Was...
0: Our investigation begins here, in the kitchen of a suburban home in Rochester in upstate New York. Surrounding us on the floor and on the kitchen table are boxes containing the district attorney's case files on Joseph Maloney.
3: Yeah, I'm Wendy Lehman. And I was a prosecutor for Monroe County, which is the county that includes Rochester, New York. And I was in the district attorney's office for 30 years. We're looking at the file, um, which was kept since the beginning of the proceedings.
0: We're in Wendy's kitchen because she's now retired. In the 1980s, her interest in Joseph Maloney was professional. Now it's personal.
3: There was a warrant for his arrest um, because he had been indicted. He was in custody and he removed himself from that custody, <laughs> as he said.
0: So he was indicted what, what for or what were the For child? murder in
3: the first degree.
0: Murder in the first
3: degree. It's an open case, and because I have to look forward to the possibility of prosecution, I always want to be very careful not to um, say anything that would jeopardize a prosecution.
0: Wendy is a retired investigator. 3,000 miles away is another retired investigator.
2: One end of Dunleary were people who worked on the boats or were involved in fishing. And the other end of it were people who
0: had retired from England and had come to live in Dunleary. This is John Mulderick, a retired Garda superintendent, and the man who made it his business to get Michael O'Shea into that courtroom in 1985. They became aware of his presence in the year in 69. Back when Michael O'Shea first arrived to Ireland in the late 1960s, he began working on fishing trawlers out of the South County Dublin town of Dunleary. But this was a time in Ireland where everybody knew each other's business. And it wasn't long before everyone, including the local police force, the Gardaí, began wondering about this new arrival.
2: He was a mystery man around Don Leary
0: Within a few years of his arrival, what had started out as curiosity around Michael O'Shea turned into suspicion. There were parts of his story which just didn't add up.
2: He was into many different trades. He was supposed to be an expert on explosives. He was in the car business, and he was farming, Anyone that spoke with him got a different story from him.
0: And I often wondered which was the true story. By 1973, O'Shea was still living in the Dunleary area and was by now romantically involved with a local woman, Sheila Chandler. But the police remained suspicious about his behaviour.
2: I was always anxious that
0: we'd establish his true identity. That same year, an unusual incident gave them the excuse they needed. According to a Garda report, Michael O'Shea was at the home of one of his business partners when a disagreement turned nasty. Some business
2: dispute that was going on between himself and someone that had been in business with him. The Garda were called, and it was during a technical examination of that that they decided that the occupants would be fingerprinted for the purpose ...of elimination from whatever fingerprints might be
0: found at the scene. Since Michael O'Shea was in the house at the time, he was fingerprinted too.
2: In any crime like that, you're always anxious to get the fingerprints of what we call the innocent party, the householder, for
0: elimination purposes. And it was this set of fingerprints, taken by the Irish police, that led the man known as Michael O'Shea to that courtroom in 1985...
2: After he'd been fingerprinted, there was so much suspicion surrounding Michael O'Shea that it was
0: decided to send them further afield for the purpose of identifying him. The Gardaí were right to be suspicious. Having taken Michael O'Shea's fingerprints, they sent them to Interpol, the organisation where police forces share information and identification techniques to solve international crimes
3: and those were sent to Interpol and the match came up.
0: They matched the fingerprints of a man on the FBI's most wanted list in the US, a fugitive on the run, wanted for murder.
2: It established his true identity.
3: Ireland knew him as Michael O'Shea. His real name was Joseph Michael Maloney.
0: The Irish police didn't want to give anything away about their discovery because back in 1973, and this is hard to believe now, there was no extradition treaty between Ireland and the United States. The Irish guardee had no way of legally sending Michael O'Shea back to the U.S. to face trial, so they had to keep it quiet.
3: They were trying to keep that secret because they knew nothing could be done about it. They didn't want to tip him off.
2: The fact that there was no treaty between the two countries, we had to keep it secret for fear he'd move on somewhere else. I was given possession of the identification that was made of him, and I had to keep it safe until such time as a treaty was ratified between Ireland and the US.
0: John Mulderig and his colleagues had to keep this secret for more than 10 years. They watched, they tracked him secretly, and they waited.
2: I never spoke with him over them years, never spoke with him. I met him on many occasions. He would uh, always salute you, give you the impression I know who you are. I was aware of his existence the whole time and where he lived. But other than that... There was nothing we could do. I did speak with a few people that knew him and would say, you can't believe anything he says.
0: Wendy Lehman and the DA's office in Rochester, New York, played the waiting game too. The murder Michael O'Shea had been charged with took place in their jurisdiction
3: but nothing could be done because there was no treaty of extradition between Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, and the United States. So it was just a waiting game at that point um, to kind of try to keep track of where he was.
0: Finally, in December 1984, the U.S. Justice Department in Washington contacted the Rochester District Attorney. The Irish state had signed its first bilateral extradition treaty with the U.S., in her kitchen in Rochester, Wendy takes the Michael O'Shea extradition application from one of the boxes containing files on the case. Uh, what sort of detail is, is within that sort of document?
3: Just laying out the crime and why we think... And One of the things we had to do was to say we would not impose the death penalty you know, for, for the extradition. Uh, so it goes into that and... Um, what he would be tried for, and and then it just all was supporting documentation. I do remember going to Washington to get our Secretary of State's signature on the documents, which was, for me, a kind of an exciting moment.
0: With the application approved, Detective Superintendent John Mulderig and his colleagues got the news they'd been waiting for.
2: The request came through Garda headquarters to go ahead with the arrest.
0: On the 7th of January, 1985, Superintendent Mulderig went to the South County Dublin home of Michael O'Shea and he waited. Waited for his suspect to return home with his wife.
2: I had already made inquiries to what times he might return to the house and he came back each day, I was told, at about lunchtime.
0: John, what type of
2: neighbourhood was this? How would you describe it? I would say it was a very upmarket place to live in. All fine houses there. It was a very quiet area, never any trouble or anything like that in it. Well to do and affluent. It was immediately after he arrived there that I arrested him.
0: Superintendent Mulderig had parked across the road. He got out of his car, walked into the drive of Michael O'Shea's home. He had rehearsed this moment in his head for many years and he was ready for it having identified himself to a startled Michael O'Shea.
2: I asked him for his name and, of course, he gave it as uh, Michael O'Shea, but I told him that I was satisfied that his true identity was Joseph
0: Maloney. Superintendent Mulderig then said to his suspect, I am arresting you on a provisional warrant as a result of a request from the Embassy of the United States of America immediately said, you have the wrong man.
2: O'Shea's wife was present outside when I arrested him that day. And what was his wife's response when you arrested him? I don't remember his wife making any comment. He handed her the keys, so she may have been about to enter the house at the time.
0: Superintendent Mulderic placed Michael O'Shea, or Joseph Maloney, as we now know him, in the back of his squad car... And drove the short distance from the suspect's home to the local Garda station in Dunleary, where local Gardee couldn't believe they'd finally got their man.
2: He was in the cell in Dunleary for a very short time before he was brought up to the court. I'm talking about the old Garda station Dunleary at that time, and the courthouse was immediately at the front of it. Judge Gillian
0: Hussey was in charge of the local court that day.
1: My name is Gillian Hussey and I'm a retired district court judge.
0: Before he arrested Michael O'Shea, Superintendent John Mulderic had visited Judge Hussey in her courtroom to give her advance warning about the case.
1: He said, look, there's going to be a strange case in the afternoon and the court will be full of people that you wouldn't expect to see in the court.
2: I forewarned her because uh, I would want her to have an opportunity to familiarise herself with Extraditions because it would be one of the first occasions that you'd have an extradition request from the United States.
0: That Monday morning, January the 7th, 1985, Dunleary District Court prepared for a case it had never seen the likes of before. By now, some of Michael O'Shea's friends, families, and associates had heard about the arrest and they arrived to see what was going on.
1: It was an old, old courtroom. I, it had a certain dignity about it.
0: Judge Hussey.
1: There's a space for the accused person, and he sat in that space. He was he was well enough away from me, but he, he wasn't a man that you really feel you had to be well enough away from, whereas there were other uh, much, much lesser criminals that you'd have been terrified to be beside.
0: Superintendent John Mulderig can still remember his suspect's unwavering conviction.
2: The question of identification arose again. He just said something to the effect that he, he was the wrong man. This is ridiculous. I am not the accused. I told the judge
0: that we would be in a position to prove his true identity. Judge Hussey accepted the evidence from the police and was in no doubt about her decision.
2: She had him in custody and he would be taken to Mountjoy Prison.
0: Michael O'Shea was bustled out of the courtroom, describing the charges as ridiculous and refusing the requests of photographers to take a picture of him. The following day, the story broke in newspapers in Ireland and in Rochester, New York.
2: Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, Tuesday, January 8th, 1985. A spokesman for the Irish National Police last night confirmed Maloney under the alias O'Shea, Irish was Independent, arrested. Tuesday, January the eighth, nineteen eighty-five. Man held on U.S. warrant. A businessman living
1: in Ireland for twenty years was brought people who knew O'Shea, O'Shea, O'Shea were stunned. We were all sitting at television and the news came on and it said that Michael O'Shea had been arrested for murder. And we were, like, blown away because, of course, we couldn't believe it. Michael O'Shea, whom the FBI claim is really Michael Joseph Maloney. They say that O'Shea, who's 49, changed his name from Maloney and fled from custody in the United States.
3: Maloney asked for bail pending the extradition hearing.
1: Well, I knew he couldn't have bail. I mean, that I knew... He wouldn't have been able to get bail in the the district court for a charge of murder. You have to go to the High Court.
0: So Michael O'Shea made his bail application to the High Court. New York District Attorney Wendy Lehman needed to prove only one thing to get that bail refused and her extradition warrant approved. That Michael O'Shea was in fact Joseph Maloney. Prove that, and he'd finally go on trial in New York State for first degree murder. Failed to prove it, and her fugitive would walk free. But Wendy Lehman and the prosecutors had a big surprise for Michael O'Shea at his bail hearing a few weeks later.
3: We sent Lieutenant George Reese Sr. to testify at that hearing. Lieutenant Reese was um, a Rochester police officer who had known Maloney for many, many, many years. He'd lived very close to him. Um, I don't think they were friends, but they certainly were acquaintances.
0: For the purpose of... the
3: purpose of identifying him as our defendant in Rochester and conveying our reasons for wanting bail denied.
0: Superintendent John Mulderig was in the High Court that day for the bail application, alongside Rochester Police Captain George Rees. They were all calling Michael O'Shea by his real name now, Joseph Maloney. And I can remember the captain speaking over to Maloney, calling him by
2: name. But when he spoke to Maloney, Maloney just completely ignored him.
0: So did he point at him and say, that's him?
2: Oh, he certainly did. He certainly did. Like before the bail application came up, the captain uh, definitely recognised him. There in the court, he said, definitely he is Joseph Maloney.
0: Michael O'Shea, well, Joseph Maloney, withdrew his bail application. But his supporters, including his wife, Sheila, continued to stand firmly behind him. I can't say the exact words, but she said more or less, I don't care how many he's killed, I still love him." This is Pat Fitzsimons with his wife, Margaret. Pat was present in that courtroom in 1985. This was the morning of the bail hearing. She was saying that to her father. I kind of overhear that.
1: The poor father and mother, her, Sheila's father and mother. Can you imagine?
0: Back in the US, the district attorney's office in Rochester was in a celebratory mood. After years of dead ends, they had finally caught their man. But Michael O'Shea wasn't yet on US soil. DA Wendy Lehman was determined to get this man off the FBI's most wanted list and on trial for murder in a New York courtroom. Her next step was to persuade the Irish courts to grant the extradition of Joseph Maloney to America.
3: Everything had to be done very, very carefully, and it was, became clear that somebody would have to go to Ireland to take part in the hearing. It was exciting. You know, DAs don't travel. They just stay there and prosecute.
0: Wendy traveled over to Ireland in late March 1985, with her was her husband, Gary, a college professor. The first extradition hearing took place in Dunleary District Court with Judge Hussey presiding on the 27th of March 1985.
3: A little suburban uh, courtroom. And I remember it was very, very cold. There wasn't any central heat. There was a little heater under our bench. And. Uh, The judge uh, was a woman, which, of course, I was surprised to see that in Ireland.
0: Even though she'd often seen his mugshot over the years, this was the first time Wendy saw Joseph Maloney in real life.
3: I remember thinking he looked like Father Time. He had a long, scraggly beard, as I recall it, and looked kind of diminished.
0: Michael O'Shea's lawyers built their defense around one key point that their client's fingerprints were taken 12 years before, in 1973, and they should have been destroyed once he'd been eliminated from that case. To keep the fingerprints, they said, was a violation of his rights. While DA Wendy Lehman and her Irish prosecutors were making their case in court, Gary, Wendy's husband, could not take his eyes off Michael O'Shea in the courtroom.
3: Gary was sitting back in the audience and was watching him and... It was curious that he wasn't better guarded and that he sat next to his wife. But that wasn't what Gary saw. Gary's Gary, what did
0: you see? Can you
3: tell what us? What I saw was that his wife had a purse,
2: a big purse, and he put it between the two of them. And I said to Wendy later, if I had been just reunited with my wife after some time in prison, I wouldn't allow them to put a purse between us. So it was suspicious that... She was doing that to pass something to him, either some information about how to get out or whatever. It just seemed very suspicious. And that nobody was watching him, evidently, seemed suspicious to me.
0: Were you concerned that there might have been a weapon? In the case?
2: Yes, absolutely. He was completely
1: capable of that.
0: Did, did either of you mention this to the security there? I presume there was a door that led out the There was onto a door that
3: led right out onto the driveway, kind of. And, Gary, you did talk to the, the officer who was there, and they pretty much said, you Americans.
0: Gary thought that Joe Maloney might be planning an escape. The trial went to a second hearing, but by April the 2nd, 1985, Judge Gillian Hussey had made her judgment.
1: I thought the evidence was there. I just assumed I was right. I had nothing to go on except what the barristers were telling me. And I was, I was guided by them, really, and by witnesses like this detective.
0: And so Judge Hussey ordered the extradition of Joseph Maloney, alias Michael O'Shea.
1: She ordered the
3: extradition, but of course he had to be held then, pending that extradition. He also would have had the right to appeal. We couldn't bring him back right away, obviously.
0: Joseph Maloney was taken to Mountjoy Prison in Dublin to be held until any and all appeals were heard, and he could be returned to the US to face trial for murder. When his extradition was approved,
3: was your work done effectively? in Ireland. In Ireland. Yes, I think we left the next day.
2: Irish Press, April 3rd, 1985. A man now living in Dublin and wanted by the New York federal authorities was ordered to be extradited by Dunleary District Court yesterday. Justice Hussey said.
0: She 38 was years on from that extradition treaty in Dublin. We're in Wendy Lehman's home in Rochester in upstate New York. And she's looking through the case files and Joseph Maloney It's a case Wendy has never forgotten, for two reasons. Because of the victim who lost her life, and because Joseph Maloney is still on the run.
3: Yeah, now, the box has only... It's just the grand jury stuff, so I
0: just... And that's confidential because of names and...? uh,
3: Because the law says it is, and it's a felony for me to disclose any of it. Okay. we don't don't (laughs) want you committing a felony, Wendy.
0: You've gone above and beyond the Call of Duty already. So,
3: no felonies today. Any, any of these guys?
0: No one, as far as you know, is working on this case now.
3: Not that I know, but I wouldn't necessarily know.
0: But we are. And that's when I see the photo. I wasn't really prepared for it. I spot it before Wendy does, a young woman, mid-twenties, reddish hair, pallid complexion, lips whitened, eyes closed, pictured only from the neck up.
3: This is a morgue picture of June Maloney, deceased.
0: June Maloney was Joseph Maloney's wife.
3: It's a good indication of keeping in mind the victim. this was a person who deserves justice. This
0: would have been shortly after death? Yes. June wasn't just Joseph Maloney's wife. She was the mother of his two young children. Until now, all the pictures I had seen of June had been in black and white, which never made her feel real. Yet here she was in vivid color, at her most lifelike, yet not alive. A victim of alleged murder, and she died.
3: And she died. She died. Uh, it's alleged that she was poisoned at the at her son's fifth birthday party, when M- Maloney served her two cocktails.
0: Since Joseph Maloney was accused of poisoning his wife, June, in 1967, the whole world has changed. Yet one thing has stayed constant. Joseph Maloney remains on the run, having escaped justice.
1: He was no dummy. He was a very smart man. To cut her life so short, it's crazy. Somehow it's injustice. I hope he didn't have a good life.
0: As this is a live investigation, if you have any knowledge, no matter how small, of Joseph Maloney, a.k.a. Michael O'Shea, or of his next wife, Sheila O'Shea, maiden name Chandler, please contact us immediately via documentaries at rte.ie. Join us for more in Episode 2, June and Joe. Runaway Joe is written and produced by me, Pavel Barter and Tim Desmond Research by Nicolene Greer Music is by Martin Klusak The sound engineer is Pater Carney and the executive producer for RTE Documentary on One is Liam O'Brien